This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Though there's a spiritual battle going on, that I have the full armor of God at my disposal to withstand in the evil day and to stand against the enemy and to claim Christ's victory in the areas where I feel like there's going to be continual defeat. Don't let the enemy try to tell you that you can't fortify yourself against his attacks because he becomes a lion without any teeth when the word of God is used against him. Satan will try to deceive us into thinking that we cannot defeat him. But did you know that the battle has already been won? In today's edition of The Ascending Life, Pastor Josh talks about how Christ has already defeated the devil. The devil will try to trick us into giving up because he knows that he cannot win against the Lord. That's why when we're in tough times, and it seems like it will never end, we lean on the Lord. His death, burial, and resurrection won the war for us. Life will get hard, but the Lord will provide. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 as he continues his message, Building and Battling. Paul, in recognizing his own weakness in 2 Corinthians 12, was talking to the Lord about this thorn in his flesh, and God responded to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul therefore says, I will gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It was an opportunity for, for them to say, we boast in the fact that we don't have anything the world would say that we need to accomplish this because then we can show off the power of our God. God loves to show off his strength through the frailty and the weakness of his people. Number two, he attacks their defenses. He attacks their defenses. Notice he asks the question, will they fortify? Will they fortify? In other words, are they going to build walls up to protect them against the power and might of our armies? Will they fortify? You have to understand the people who returned from exile were not necessarily the most skilled artisans and craftsmen. When Solomon built the first temple, he had thousands of carpenters, stone workers, and skilled craftsmen in his city. Nehemiah had sort of a, a remnant of people who some historians say they were mostly tradespeople, perfumers, women and children, and common people, how would they know how to structurally engineer walls and build up walls that would be strong enough to last or to stand against an attack? And I think the enemy loves to ridicule our methods of defense. He wants to mock our attempts to do battle against him and against our flesh. Has anyone in here ever failed or sinned? Because if you failed, and if you've fallen short, and if you've had moments where you have done that thing you know you shouldn't have done, then you recognize this voice very well. The voice that says, why don't you give up by now? You really think you're going to overcome this? You really think you're going to change? Do you really think that person that you're trying to invest in that keeps failing and keeps messing up is actually ever going to show 
any sign of becoming better? Do you really think that that ongoing ministry and that ongoing relationship and that annoyance and that frustration and that, you really think there's ever going to, why don't you just give up? Are you going to fortify yourself against temptation and against sin and against the power and the strength of the flesh and the world and the devil? The enemy wants to convince you that, no, you can't and you won't. And here we need to read Ephesians 6. I have a, an alarm on my phone, a reminder on my phone. For the past, I can't know, maybe three or four years, every week that alarm goes off on my phone. Read Ephesians 6. I read Ephesians 6 every single week. Every single week I read Ephesians 6 because I want to be reminded that though we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and we wrestle against principalities and powers, and though there's a spiritual battle going on, that I have the full armor of God at my disposal to withstand in the evil day and to stand against the enemy and to claim Christ's victory in the areas where I feel like there's going to be continual defeat. Don't let the enemy try to tell you that you can't fortify yourself against his attacks because he becomes a lion without any teeth when the word of God is used against him. Number three, he attacks their motive. Notice, you might miss this if you have a New King James. The language is very important. Here I think the NASB and the ESV get the translation right. He says, will they fortify it or restore it? Will they restore it, quote, for themselves? The implication here is that they're doing this just for them. You know, And I think it's easy for a Christian to be hindered from serving the Lord because they are sincerely humble people. They don't want to take glory for themselves. And the minute God starts using them, the thought comes in their mind, oh, you're just doing this for you. You're just serving over there so someone can see you, someone can acknowledge you, someone can praise you. You're just doing this so that more people will know who your church is and that you can have more tenders and that you can, you know what? I think that we always ought to weigh our motive against the word of God. We are humans. It's possible for us to be ill-motivated people. But I also realize it's possible for a person who just wants to serve the Lord. Their motive is right. Their heart is pure. They don't want anything for themselves. If that's you and you have something in your, I would just say go for it. Just go for it with all your heart. Just serve the Lord. Forget about what people are saying. Forget the praise. Forget the criticism. And just focus on Jesus. And whatever comes of it, comes of it. Just, just get out there and do it for Christ. Number four, he attacks their method of worship. He says in the next question, will they offer sacrifices? You're going to tell me they're going to build the wall, then they're all going to stop, and they're all going to go to church, and then they're all going to lift their hands, close their eyes, and sing to some invisible force in the air. That makes a lot of sense. They're just going to go make sacrifices. What good is a sacrifice going to do against the enemy? That's, I think the enemy really likes to make Christians think that their prayer life and their worship life is a waste of time. What are you really accomplishing? I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, and maybe no one else's experienced this, or maybe a few of you have, but there have been times where I've been in the middle of worship with my hands lifted, singing a song, and the thought crosses through my mind, what am I doing right now? What's the point of this? And God always is faithful to remind me. The point of it 
is if you go to war without worship, you go vulnerable. If you go try to do something for the Lord and you haven't prayed first, you go in weakness. You've lost your high ground. If you go to try to serve Christ, to serve needs where there's spiritual warfare, and you don't go spiritually prepared, you're in trouble. You see, the enemy didn't want them sacrificing because the sacrifice always reminded them of the God that they served, of his holiness, of their own sin, of their need for him. And Satan wants to take us away from anything that reminds us of our need for Jesus. And the greatest sacrifice that Satan mocks is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That's why Paul said, to the world, it's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And so the enemy will try to attack our desire to worship the Lord. But before we can minister for God, we must minister to God. That is clear. Number five, he attacks their progress. Or their, maybe should I say their lack of progress. Notice the next question. Will they build it in a day? It seems like most of the houses I've lived in, I've got roped into projects. I don't know if that just comes with house ownership, right? There's always something that needs to be retrimmed, something that needs to be painted. And we were in this long, elongated process with this house that we're currently in of like just little things that had to be done and renovations that got halfway completed and this had to be done and that. And it just, I tell you, when you're in the beginning or the middle of something that just, and there's clutter everywhere and there's construction dust everywhere and things are strewn all over the place, you just feel like, is this really worth it? Is this ever going to get done? And notice with the question, will they build it in a day? Imagine being a worker. First time you've maybe picked up a shovel and lifted a brick in your life. And Nehemiah is like, here, just build this section of the wall right here. And you're trying to figure this out. And, and you just look ahead of you and it's just, it's just rubble and stones and heaps. And you're just discouraged. And the enemy, his word, the enemy's word gets to you. You're going to finish it? Well, you think you're going to just... Do some work, and then you're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to have this beautiful wall sitting there. Oh, you're right. Man, is this worth the effort? Is it even possible? Am I going to work, 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 only to realize that I accomplished nothing? The enemy is always attacking our lack of progress or speed. Sometimes I have become discouraged with how long it takes to see fruit in the ministry. The task of saving souls, feeding sheep, making disciples sometimes seems like it will never be accomplished. The need seems so great. I feel so small. There's so much vision I have that I want to see done. And yet day by day, it feels like I'm just picking up another brick. How long will that person keep falling into the same sin? How long will that married couple continue their fighting? How long until this can happen? How long until our neighbors come to Christ? How long, how long, how long? The enemy loves to throw time in our face and tell us it's just not worth it. But the Bible says that God makes all things beautiful in his time and that the work he started, he will complete. Our job is not to make sure the wall gets done tomorrow. You want to know how you build a wall for the Lord? One brick at a time. 
You take one, you put it there. What does God put me before me right now? You pick it up, you put it where it needs to go by faith. You take this stone doesn't look right, I'll chisel it down by faith, I'll pick it up and put it in the next spot by faith. Lord, bless this, make a wall. And before you know it, your daily act of obedience, you look behind you and you see a big wall that God has built. And it goes for relationships, for your marriage, for discipling your children, for witnessing to your neighbors, for ministering in the church. It's just one small act of faithfulness and obedience at a time that gets the job done. Take Jesus' advice. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. What has God placed before you today? Number six, finally, he attacks their resources that they have to work with. Final question, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? And then he adds, stones that are burned? (laughs) I love this. Have you guys looked and seen what you have to work with here? It's not much. I mean, cities are built with freshly hewn stones, granite, rock, right out of the quarry that can withstand the attacks of the enemy. And all you have is a bunch of leftovers, a bunch of do-overs. Not only are they all in rubble, they've all been burned, which means they're brittle and they can easily be broken. You're going to try to rebuild a wall of defense with that? And I think someone really needs to hear this today. So just retrain, refocus with me real quick. Because I think someone here looks at at, at where they're at, they look behind them at their life. Maybe their life without God, maybe their life with God, and they realize, man, that decision I made was so foolish and caused so much damage. And then I got, then I was a victim of someone else's sin, and I got even more damaged. And then I was abused, and I got even more damaged. Then I was abandoned by my husband, and then I got more damaged. And then I got addicted to drugs, and I got more damaged. And everything I see behind me looks like burnt bricks and piles of trash. How could God use me? How could God take and make anything beautiful come out of this mess? And here's what you need to know about your God. He is so redemptive that he takes broken bricks and he uses them to build beautiful walls. He restores the thing the enemy has stolen. And he takes all those things that you think are a bunch of rubble and he makes something so beautiful out of them that the world looks upon it and says, I could have never imagined such beauty and strength and courage could come from a bunch of broken, burnt bricks. Because the Spirit of God can make broken things whole again. The whole point here was of these attacks, these six attacks, was to create doubt in the mind of the people that God's work could be accomplished. But God, he wants to build in us faith. I'm going to make a bold statement. Maybe it's just because I'm fired up right now. I don't know. I wonder if God would take all the potential brokenness in the room and, and he would take something that in the eyes of the world, they'd look on this room of people today and go, what's the significance? What will they accomplish? What will they do? And I think God wants to make heavenly headlines of what he could accomplish here. Well, if those 
seeds of doubt were not enough. Verse 3, Tobiah comes in. Tobiah's a little guy. He's been hiding behind Soundballot this whole time. And then he pops out his head, and he says, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And then he runs back and he hides again. Just to add the icing on the cake, right? I don't know, have you ever seen a fox? It's not a very fearsome beast inspiring a lot of terror. It's just a little flighty creature, a bear, a lion, something massive, something strong. But no, you're telling me that the product I'm building is going to be so flimsy and so weak that the little fox is going to be coming after we finish our labor and our work, and it's going to run up and jump on the wall, and the whole thing's just going to fall down. And the point here is to intimidate through fear. If a fox could knock down your wall, what are you going to do when we bring 50,000 soldiers and chariots against your wall of rubble? You know, supernaturally, it's amazing. The Bible tells us that the wall was completed in 52 days. That's a miracle. They would have never known it at the time if they would have let the fear and the intimidation tactics of the enemy get to them at this moment, it could have all been over. So how does Nehemiah lead the people of God to respond? Notice that instead of panicking in fear, they pray in faith. They respond in prayer to God. It's been said the Christian army is the only one that marches on their knees. And it's true. Look at verse 4. Nehemiah turns to the Lord. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as a plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Notice that instead of getting involved in the arguments, they turned to the Lord. It wasn't like Sanballat was listing off all these things and then Nehemiah was over there arguing with him. No, we're not really that weak. Oh, don't call us. They weren't fighting. Nehemiah says, okay, we've heard your accusations. Oh, God. Defend us. God, take care of these wicked people, make them our plunder, and don't let their sins be forgiven. I mean, that's quite a prayer. It reminds me of how the New Testament church responded to the persecution they were facing in Acts chapter 4. When they were persecuted, they turned to the Lord, they gathered together, and they prayed, Lord, consider their threats against us and enable us to speak your word with boldness. Lord, you've heard. Lord, you know the attacks. Lord, you, I'm going to commit the attacks to you, God, and you just empower me to, to stand up in the middle of it and to keep going. Even Paul the Apostle, when he was falsely accused and attacked, he prayed to the Lord for his enemies. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I wouldn't want to be this guy, Alexander the coppersmith, whoever he was. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. That's quite a prayer for your friends, isn't it? Sometimes I think it's okay for us to have the King David kind of prayers, the Nehemiah kind of prayers. You know what I'm talking about, right? God, I pray you save them. 
And if you can't save them, I pray you wipe them out. Josh, that's not very nice. Listen, we should never pray. Well, I should say this. We should always follow the command of Jesus. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. We're never to pray evil or ill against a person because we don't like them. But we are always to pray against evil and unrighteousness and those who propagate it. It is not wrong to say, Lord, if there are philosophies and ideas and politics and things that are coming against your standard of truth and righteousness and love and are trying to be an attack on your church, Lord, would you just silence them? Would you take care of it? Would you wipe it out? Verse 6 tells us a result of that prayer. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. All right, I want you to underline a certain descriptive word here, and that's the word half. The people are excited. The enemy has been silenced. Everyone has, okay, yeah, we're all on board. Got the vision. Let's go. And they're building, and it gets halfway done. You think the enemy is done yet? Nope. In fact, the halfway point might be the point exactly when he comes and he decides to try a different mode, a different tactic. Verse 7 tells us, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, the list of enemies seems to be increasing uh, from the first two, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem, and notice, and create confusion. The first tactic of the enemy was the intimidation of the enemy through mocking. The second tactic of the enemy is the infiltration of the enemy through confusion. And always note this, if the enemy can't get you from the outside, he will try to come inside. And he will create confusion among the ranks. So you have the Samaritans to the north, the Ammonites to the east, the Arabs to the south, the Ashdodites to the west. Israel is surrounded by nations that want their destruction. Apparently a lot hasn't changed in the past several thousand years. And the method was to conspire and confuse. You know, there's a reason Paul told us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Because Satan wants to get the church confused. Did you hear what happened over there with that guy? Can you believe what this person did to me? No, did you talk to him? No, but I'm telling you about it. I'm confused. Did you hear about this doctrine? Did you hear about this teaching? Did you hear? And all of a sudden, everyone's like, what, where are we? What's going on? I'm confused. And the enemy has slowly infiltrated through whispers and through gossip and through lies and through assumptions and through speculations and through false doctrines to the point where the enemy's outside, they don't have to say anything anymore because the church is doing it to themselves. Families fighting from within. In verse 9, again, notice, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Notice he recognized that the attack was coming from the enemy. And not only now are we going to pray, but we're also going to set up a watch. Set up a watch. Be on guard. For your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Pray and watch. 
Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life. Pastor Josh Blevins had a great message to share today, and we trust that what you've heard has been an encouragement to you. If what you heard today has left you with some questions, we'd like to ask you to reach out. You can get in touch with us by calling us at 816-279-2090. If you need to hear that number again, it's 816-279-2090. You can also email us at mail at graceontheweb.org. Some of what you heard might be completely new to you. If that's the case and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, feel free to go to theascendinglife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to understand more about who Jesus is and how much He loves you. Here at Grace Calvary, our mission is to awaken people to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Head over to theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast too. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. That's all the time we have for today, but we can't wait to get back into another enlightening teaching from Pastor Josh. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so. There's so much more to learn and appreciate about God, so be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing in.